Well, this summer, we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And uh, we've been asking it broadly. What does that look like uh, in any kind of situation that I find myself in, where I work, work or live? But we've been asking it specifically uh, in this neighborhood that we're moving into. What does it look like for us to be a good neighbor? And we started with some Old Testament texts, and last week we began some New Testament passages. And this one is called the Parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, The lawyer is an expert in the law of Torah, and he probably is in a teaching setting wondering whether or not Jesus is an authentic rabbi. And so he's, in a way, wanting to kind of find fault in his teaching. So he asks a question about inheriting eternal life, and Jesus, as he often does, responds with a question, what do you think? And the Torah scholar responds with uh, two quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus, Leviticus 19. This is the heart of everything, love God, love neighbor. And then he makes a mistake, <laughs> and he asks Jesus another question, and that's when he kind of gets skewered. Uh, there was this matter of debate about who really is my neighbor. And it's true that if you go all the way back to the early days when um, Israel was in the promised land, there were these wonderful texts about caring for the aliens in your midst. But remember, we're not in that setting anymore. And so now they are an occupied people under Roman influence. And the rabbis had come to the conclusion that those people really aren't your neighbor. Uh, the literature often talked about uh, children of light, children of darkness. You were, you were allowed to hate the children of darkness. One rabbi um, said something to the effect of, give to the one who is good, but don't help the sinner. And by the time we get to Jesus' day, Judaism itself had started to fracture And different sects within Judaism were saying, you're children of darkness, we're children of light, we want nothing to do with you. So so the the rabbis, or the lawyer's question was kind of, what are the limits of this neighboring stuff? Uh, Because certainly I don't need to care for people outside of my particular sect. So Jesus tells this story in response to that question and winds up opening up another question. The first part of the story quickly answers the original question. This guy is, there's this guy walking on a steep, narrow road. Jerusalem is at 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho's 800 feet below. And it is a very narrow, windy road. It still is today. There's a man who's robbed and left for dead. And Jesus doesn't say much about who he is, and that's a real important part of the parable. Because anybody who is hurting is our neighbor. That's the answer to the first question. And then the story starts to explore the question of who is the good neighbor, and we meet two neighbors who behave badly. Priest walks by, sees the guy, keeps on going. A Levite does the same thing. 
Now, priests and Levites were descendants of Aaron. They managed temple worship and sacrifice, uh, and they worked at shifts. And so if you were a priest, you'd go up for like two days, and then you'd walk back to Jericho, and you'd stay there a couple days. And so this happened all the time. And when you were at the temple, you would police the boundaries. You would clean it up. You'd fix things that broke. You would play worship songs. You would pronounce blessing, blow trumpets. Uh, and you were a very important part of the community. Just by your birth, you were seen as closer to God than everyone else. Now, they probably didn't stop to help the man for two reasons. One is, touching someone who might be dead made you ceremonially unclean. And so then they wouldn't have been able to fulfill their role in the temple. And that's the first reason. And I think Jesus tells this story. It makes the religious leaders the bad guys because he's showing that even when you try to keep the letter of the law, you can overlook the heart of the law, which involves loving your neighbor. See, they're running the machinery of Israel's worship, forgetting that mercy is at the heart of Israel's worship. This is the demonic dark side of all religious institutions. Not at all saying it's wrong to have an organization. But there is this dark energy in any religious institution that will move it away from its heart, the heart of mercy, towards just running the machine. We see it all the time through church history. We've always got to be so careful. These men had gotten so caught up in running the machine of the institution that they just couldn't even see the wounded man by the side of the road. You know, I think we see, it's easier to maybe see this in the past than to see where it's happening today. For example, during the 1920s, thousands of sermons were preached against evolution uh, by, uh, by Christian pastors Almost none were preached against lynching. 4,000 lynchings were taking place during that period. And yet, we focused on uh, uh, evolution. I wonder what that would be like today. I, I wonder where somebody 50 years from now will look back and say, you know, they were so focused on this that they totally missed this. The priests and the Levite were worship leaders. And, and so I think one of the things Jesus might be getting at here is what is really authentic worship? Uh, is, is it the quality of the songs and the, uh, you know, how, how everything works? Well, the priests and the Levites cared a lot about that. They worked really hard at that. So yeah, that's something to care about. But we often think, was that a great, oh, that was such a great worship service. Gosh, I just, uh, this, I love that song. I love that prayer. And uh, the, that, I just felt the presence of God and somebody prayed for me and I was healed. That was a great worship service. And I would say, that's a big part of it. I hope that happens every time we gather. But I think one of the things that Jesus wants us to say out of this text is if your worship 
does not make you merciful and does not give you eyes to see the wounded around you, it's not authentic worship. No matter how pretty it is or beautiful it is or even how much it moves you emotionally, if out of that connection with God you experience in worship, you then go out into the world and do not see needs that God would have you meet, that's not authentic worship. So there's, there's like a missional criteria with which we should be evaluating our worship. Does it change the way we care for the broken around us? Well, the other reason they probably uh, did not stop was helping the man put them at risk. There was a trick that everybody knew, and you can walk this road today, and there's many passages that are very kind of covered by cliffs and trees, and uh, they would beat a guy up, leave him there as a decoy. When you went to help him, they'd beat you up. Everybody knew it. So it was very dangerous to stop and try to help someone. And so the Samaritan passes by, and, and you, you know the history probably that the Samaritan Jews hated each other. And, and Jesus often would make the outsider the moral hero of his stories to show that everybody's welcome in the kingdom of God. It says, when he saw him, he had compassion. The other two guys evidently didn't. And I wondered, now I'm just kind of speculating here, but the Jerusalem-Jericho walk was one that they did several times a week for maybe 40 years. And it was known to be a very violent road. And so I wonder if they were so used to seeing people beat up by the side of the road (laughs) that they just... Kind of, they kind of didn't even notice anymore. And besides, they had to get to the temple and they had to do their job and get home. And there, there's a compassion fatigue that can, can come to us. I don't know if you feel it. I feel it. That there's just so many needs out there. You can become numb to them and not have compassion for them. Perhaps that's what was happening here. Well, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he puts him on his, on his donkey. So this tells us that the Samaritan is probably a businessman because he's, uh, he would have these things with him. And I think Jesus might be saying something in, in this as well because where does the real holy kingdom work happen in this story? Not in the temple, but on a business trip with a person who actually is outside of the covenant of Israel. And I don't think Jesus is, you know, dissing the temple. I I, I think one of the things that he's trying to point out is that the kingdom of God breaks through, that being a neighbor happens Anywhere we are doing life, on business trips, in the middle of a normal day, and not just within the rhythms of the temple's worship. The Samaritan sees, he has compassion, he binds him up, 
puts oil in his wounds, takes him to an inn, and asks the innkeeper to care for him. So the Jericho Road is long enough that if, if he'd had just given the guy a little bit, he wouldn't have made it home. He needed to, to take him to an inn and get him a long-term support system. Good neighbors help other neighbors flourish over the long haul. Now, I, I wanted to pause for just a moment here and address something that happened last week and something that a number of you um, sent us some good questions about. Um, last week, one of our neighbors uh, was uh, very distressed and uh, came into the church a couple of times uh, and um, followed somebody to their car, said some things he shouldn't have said, actually later on followed me. We had a bit of an altercation. Um, and a, a number of you had some kind of exposure to that and wrote and said, what, what is All Souls' plan for security and safety? And it's something we've been thinking a lot about, and you received a letter uh, about it this week. But as we just touch on this, I, I wonder, what does the parable of the Good Samaritan say to us as we try to love our neighbors well? Um, what would it say to us? Well, in the first years of All Souls, uh, a young seminarian preached to us, and I can't remember, but I think it might have been on this text. And I remember him saying that the essence of true religion was caring for those in need, and if we did not stop for any person we met on the street and give them money, we were hypocrites like the priest and the Levite. That we were just rushing off to worship while people were suffering on our doorstep. There was a book at the time that was popular with a similar theme where a pastor was rushing to church to give a sermon. He was stopped by a neighbor who was in need. Uh, and, and so he, he spent the whole rest of the night and even the week with the neighbor. And he did this week after week and did not meet the needs of the church and the church fired him. And the, the point of the uh, little book was that the church was hypocritical that this really is what true religion looks like and that if we really love God, we wouldn't be just worrying about running a church and having a service. We'd all be out caring for our neighbor that way. And I've come to the conclusion that the, the young seminarian and the writer were sincere but somewhat misguided. Um, we've spent a lot of time talking to different leaders in our community about these things. We've wrestled with them for years. The business owners and pastors and ministry leaders in our neighborhood all tell us the same things, and they're expressed to you in this very thoughtful letter that Jill sent you this week. Uh, and one of those things is that you usually do not help a person just by giving them money. They're created in the image of God. They're created to flourish, and so we need to get them to the end. We need to get them connected with resources that can help them break free from the cycle that's hurting them. And so in our neighborhood, this means connecting them with ministries and services that offer long-term solutions like uh, the ones that are around us. Simply giving money supports dysfunction. 
rather than supporting true transformation. But what about safety and security? A number of you said, well, what are we going to do about this? And again, I refer you to Jill's letter. We've spent months working on this, and she was kind of the the lead person. And frankly, it's the best short piece that I've ever read uh, on this question of how do you love someone well um, in, in our neighborhood. I did want to make three highlights that Jill writes. One is, ask the person's name. Uh, It really changes the interaction from a transactional one, and perhaps it can open a door to a long-term relationship. That's that's really a helpful thing. Um, And second, if you feel at risk for any reason, immediately call 911. Now, that may sound extreme. This is what we've been told to do. I would like to point out that 99% of the time you are not at risk. And if if you're not used to being down here, you might feel that you are at risk. And I've been down here 18 years. I've been volunteering at the mission for over 20 years. 99% of the time you're not at risk. Um, If someone is having a psychotic break or on drugs, you could be. That would be the only time that's a very, very rare thing. But what we're told is if something like that happens, call 911. And then the last thing I'd like to flag from Jill's excellent letter is, please consider joining our security team. Um, We really want to love our neighbors with respect and compassion, and at the same time, we want to create a safe and secure worship environment. Uh, But to do this will take some work. And so what we'd like to do is have five or six people every week before and after the service, both in the building, in the parking lots, especially maybe as it gets a little darker, uh, escorting people to cars if they need that, whatever they need. Um, that, that's something we think would really be helpful. And there'll be some training for the teams. Um, if, if you could do that, it would really be a big help. And uh, let Jill know if you could serve in any way. So Jesus asks, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the neighbors? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the man asked for a technical definition of who my neighbor is. And Jesus gives them a beautiful picture of the heart of neighboring. Show mercy. Let's go and do likewise.